Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, It is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents, for to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, the word of the Lord. What homing instinct do children have? In the middle of the night, when they sidle up to their parents' bed, lean in dangerously close to the sleeping parent's face and whisper, I think I'm going to throw up. (laughs) Nothing makes a mom or dad go from zero to 60 in no seconds than those words. It seems to me, no matter how emphatically I have tried to persuade my sons over the years to go straight to the bathroom, they come to me first 100% of the time. While this is indeed cause to panic with oftentimes gross results, 
There is also something very profound and I think very spiritual going on here. In the middle of the night, when things go wrong, we do not wish to be alone. Human nature seeks company when things are not as they should be. I cannot count the number of hours spent on the bathroom floor with a sick child rubbing the back, wiping the forehead, offering sips of water. And there is something unique in the pastoral office as well that offers clergy instant access to very intimate places in people's lives, which so often take place in the dark hours of the night. Sitting with the dying in a nursing home, supporting a laboring mother, attending a drug overdose in the ER, knocking on the door of a family who is about to receive life-changing news, passing time with a family in a hospital waiting room during emergency surgery, life-changing things often take place while the rest of the world sleeps. And these things are best endured with others rather than alone. In the middle of the night when things are at their worst, it's best to have company. At such times, I've noticed something interesting. People are visibly relieved when the sun rises and morning comes, even if the condition of their particular situation hasn't changed or improved, when morning comes, people feel renewed strength and hope. To this end, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may spend the night, but joy comes in the morning. Oftentimes, nights must simply be endured until the light of day comes and sends the darkness reeling. When I was in labor with my first son, touching on the Thessalonians text at this point, when I was in labor with Christian, I panicked. Like many first-time mothers, panic. It was midnight, and I was not prepared for the pain of natural childbirth. Is anyone prepared? I owe everything to my nurse, who kept repeating, Look at me, and breathe. Look at me, and breathe. Her name was Emily. And she embodied serenity. You're so strong, she would say. I am not, I would cry. You are almost done, she assured me. I'm going to die, I would shout. It's almost over, she would say. My neighbor delivered her baby five weeks early, and she speaks of a similar nurse who gave strength and reassurance as she labored through the night. Mothers know this interesting phenomenon that takes place that very moment when you are sure you are going to die, that you cannot possibly go on. Then there is delivery, and two blinking eyes, and a cry, and you remember the pain no more, the same pain that was crushing you only moments before. Can this image not illumine our perception of the day of the Lord? the wrath of God, judgment before the throne of the Lamb. 
I think it can. Enter here today's readings and our church season. The church year is wrapping up. It's coming to an end. Our readings are getting longer and more apocalyptic and scarier. Look at today's reading from Zephaniah, for example. That's scary stuff. We hear about the end of times, the wrath of God and judgment, and we are afraid, and the night seems long, and we begin to feel afraid that we won't measure up when Christ returns to reboot this broken world. We get anxious when something is coming to an end. This is when the church has done itself a disservice. The year is coming to an end, okay? And furthermore, the world is coming to an end, okay? But these things are within God's control, not ours. And we need to stop using parables from Luke and Matthew to frighten other people. And if we really believe in the loving God to whom we pray and confess, then our words, come Lord Jesus, should not be ones of threat or dread, but rather words of hope, not just for some, but for all people. There is a phrase, there is no lonelier hour than three o'clock in the morning. I believe this to be true. If you are awake at three o'clock in the morning, odds are good that you are not happy about it. Stress over work or insomnia, physical pain maybe, anxiously awaiting the safe arrival of a late teenager, unrelenting voices in your head that are condemning you. The night exposes us to physical, mental, and spiritual assault, trying to convince us that we are worthless and that if there really is a God, and if this God is really truly interested in coming to this world to, to renew it, that I am certainly not good enough to be a part of that, that I will be left behind and left out. I have early memories of my mom singing to me at bedtime when I was about five. My parents had just joined this evangelical movement that swept through the Midwest in the late 70s. The end of the world was a big thing for them. And I remember my mom sitting on the edge of my... I can't believe I'm going to share this song with you. I'm not going to sing it. The lyrics go like this. It's a song by Larry Norman. The words go... Life was filled with guns and war, and all of us got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. The children died. The days grew cold. A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wished we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. And then should say, sleep well, good night. and shut my door, leaving me to face the rest of the night alone with my fears of God and the end of the world, and I was five. The prophets serve us well in warning us to repent. Zephaniah is not wrong. The commandments serve us well in teaching us how to behave. The Psalms serve us well in teaching us how to lament and how to praise. But ultimately, It is Christ who serves us well by giving us a future beyond the grave, something the prophets and the commandments cannot do. It is Christ who loves us when we are not able to repent. It is Christ who loves us when we do not keep the commandments.
when we are not able to praise? Why then should we suddenly fear God now in these end times? God has not suddenly changed into some monster who wishes to devour us. So why start fearing now? God is the same in the beginning and the end, the same loving breath that called all things into existence in the beginning will usher all living things into the next world when this one ends. Judgment is real. I'm not making the claim that it's not. What that looks like, no one knows. But there is a time of reckoning between humans and God when we account for our sins. But does that have to strike terror in our hearts? Can we not anticipate God's judgment as a time of cleansing and final confession? Who wants to carry all of our sins into eternity anyway? Think again of the laboring mother whose body is racked by pain until delivery, and then she remembers the pain no more in her joy over new life, weeping at night, followed by joy in the morning. I offer this sermon to you as a relational one, to encourage us to trust the God in whom we believe. And even though we might be afraid and fearful and anxious, God is not. God gives us Jesus, his only son, who dies for us, in order to break open God's future for us. You don't give your future to someone whom you hope to eternally punish. You don't marry someone in the hopes of making them miserable till death parts you, although some marriages seem to be that way. Futures are joined together when there is a pervasive love that transcends judgment. God's future is entwined with ours because For whatever reason, God does not wish to face eternity without us. We heed the prophets, yes. We attend to the parables, yes. We strive to live lives worthy of the one whose name we bear, yes. But finally, when we are consumed by nighttime terror, fearing that we just don't measure up, we encounter Jesus Christ, who himself was thrust into outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. When we then toss and turn in our nighttime terror, when we face our darkest hours, when we are consumed by darkness, when we weep and gnash our teeth, we are embraced by the Christ, who comes to us from beyond the grave to assure us of a future kingdom that is coming for us. Samuel Rayon is an Indian Roman Catholic liberation theologian, and he writes, The candle is a protest at midnight. It is a nonconformist. It says to the darkness, I beg to differ. In dark times, when hope seems to be lost, look to God's future which is spinning towards us, not to threaten us, but to welcome us in times of fear. And in these dark times, be a nonconformist and reflect to others that light of Christ. 
a light that shines from God's future. We are not moving towards God's future. It is moving towards us, and it is filled with eternal grace. None forsaken, none lost, none left behind. Amen.